have a seat, get nice and comfortable. Whoa, whoa, I love that, it's great. Um, how are we doing? If we have a Bible, do you want to just get it? It can be on your phone. So um, I'm going to speak tonight for only like 20-ish minutes, I hope that's okay. And then we're going to have three special speakers come and share a little bit for a couple of minutes each. Um, so obviously you warmly welcome me every time I speak, but extra warmly welcome those people. So the last couple of weeks we've been looking a little bit at the Bible, um, how important the Bible is. Um, who was here last week for Lucundo? What a great job Lucundo did last week. She um, basically helped us to see that reading the Bible isn't a chore when you realize that you're actually uh, having a relationship with God during the reading of the Bible. Um, and how, how much of a relief is that? That when we read the Bible, it's not just finding information out about something, but it's actually a relationship, which is pretty special, isn't it? And so Lucundo did a great job. Um, sadly, very sad, um, we don't read the Bible I say we, I'm, I'm referring to a recent poll by the Bible Society. If anyone went to the Young Adults Weekend Away, you might have gone to my workshop. And so you might know these statistics, but here, here they are. Um, Bible Society, you know, legit organization with legit polls. This is, this is their survey that they did. 51%, so you can split this room, 51% of Christians aged 18 to 35, engage with the Bible a few times a year. So engage is quite a, I don't know how you make of that word. I, what I get from engage is maybe they go to church or maybe they see a verse on Facebook. Okay, Twice a year, 51%, 18 to 35, that's a lot. That's a sad story, isn't it? 9% of Christians aged 18 to 35... Read the Bible once a day. 9%. I mean, if you read it every day, it's pretty decent on you. But um, 9%, that's really sad. That's not good, is it? Turn to the person next to you and say, that's very sad, isn't it? So if you want to turn to 2 Timothy. Timothy, 2 Timothy. Chapter 3. And I'm just going to really, we're going to be here in this, um, these verses really. 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 12 says this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. And this is the key verse here for this bit. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Thanks for the water, Fiona. The Holy Scriptures are able to make you what? Wise for what? Salvation. When Paul's talking about the Holy Scriptures, yes, he's just talking about the Old Testament. We know the New Testament wasn't put together then, but we can apply that to our whole Bibles right now. 
The Bible is there for us. Why? To make you wise for salvation. Notice how it doesn't say the Bible is there so you can have the answer to everything about everything ever. It doesn't say that. It's really important that we know what the Bible's for, but also what it's not for. The Bible doesn't teach higher mathematics. It doesn't. The Bible doesn't teach how to play golf. We go to university to learn higher mathematics. We go to university to learn psychology and sociology and all the ologies. We go to Mark to learn how to play golf. Is Mark? He's gone out of the room. Apparently Mark plays golf. I learned that yesterday. Um, the Bible is really important and we need it. But what does Paul say here? One of the main reasons we read the Bible is so that we might get might be wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Wise for salvation. What, I'm, what I get from that is that the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, they reveal to us this awesome, fantastic salvation story. Yeah? The Bible reveals to us um, something that no degree course, no training course can ever reveal to us how to enter into God's salvation. And it shows how all of us that, you know, our original intention, what was it? To know God, to be in a personal, intimate relationship with God. And then we read the Bible, don't we? We see this lovely story of how um, so many times we reject that, okay? The Bible starts off with us rejecting God's love. And then that pattern happens and happens and happens again. And God, because he's so loving and gracious, he always makes a way for us, doesn't he? We know the story and it culminates in the person of who? Jesus Christ. And Jesus ushers in this rule and reign and we live. And tonight we worship God in spirit and truth. We know the salvation story. And so the scriptures are there to remind us to be wise for salvation. It reminds us that we're part of something epic, right? Bigger than our daily concerns. It reminds us that we've been called by God. It reminds us that we've been called out of this age, out of this earthly age, and into what? God's awesome kingdom. The Bible's there to remind us of our call, and it reminds us of our true purpose and our ultimate destiny. So I just want to say right from the beginning, it's really important. The Bible is really important. It's the number one selling book every week. Do you know that? It's just not added into top selling books because it would just get ridiculous. But it is number one selling book every week. Verse 16, what does it say? All scripture is ah, inspired. Who has anything else different? All scripture is God-breathed. Some of your translations might say inspired, God-breathed, whatever. What on earth does that mean? What does it mean that the Bible's inspired? Why don't you take a minute with the person next to you and come up with your own definition of inspiration. What does it mean? What, is, what does it mean that the Bible is inspired? Go ahead. I'll give you a minute. Right. 
won't let you mute it anymore. Really interesting. I hope you're talking about this and not what you're having for dinner later. Right, so the Bible is inspired. Um, we're not going to have time to look at this quite a, a lot. Sadly, I'd love to. Um, on USMM, our Bible school, um, we actually spend about three hours looking at inspiration of Scripture. And um, we have a great time. I love it. Right. Here is what inspiration isn't. One day, the Bible fell out the sky. That's not inspiration. Right? The Bible didn't fall out the sky. One day, there was a man called Moses, and he was walking down the road. And suddenly, um, he, was, he was caused to fall into a deep sleep. And he, and he woke up from the deep sleep, and then he saw next to him, in his own writing was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God had somehow struck him down and caused him to, to write these five books. That's not inspiration. And God didn't bypass or remove the quirks and personalities and vulnerabilities and humanness of the biblical authors. He didn't. Um, and humans didn't write this book and then one day God breathed into it and made it inspired. That's not inspiration. The Bible is not a mystical book that somebody stumbled upon a long time ago. Does anyone watch, has anyone seen Indiana Jones? Yeah, the Bible's not like that. It's not a relic that Indiana Jones found in a cave, doing all these crazy, running around from booby traps. That's, don't think of the Bible when you think of that. The Bible's far more complex, actually. It's, it's far more rich. It's far more beautiful. When we talk about the Bible being inspired... What we need to get right is that God collaborated with regular people like you and me in writing scriptures. Regular people like you and me. Um, there's about 40 plus authors um, who put the Bible together. And I like to understand inspiration as 2 Peter 1.21 says, that people were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they spoke. I like that image that God's carrying us along by his Holy Spirit as we write. Inspiration is the breath of God, right? That these writings somehow contain God's awesome breath. So, um, quickly, canonization process. So, um, you, you might know that, that, that your Bible that you have on your phone or, or whatever hardback or paperback right now, um, 66 books, okay, um, we don't have time to talk about the denominations that have extra books or um, different order or less books. But basically, 200 years after Jesus, um, Christians decided to put together a canon, a book, 66 books. And, and the reason, that this is why this is important, the reason how they managed to do this is they, they, they looked at inspiration, which books are inspired? Which books aren't inspired? Which books can we do away with? And which books are like, whew, that's quite weighty. When I read that, I'm like, crikey, Jesus, right? 
So um, one example they did in the early church is if the Romans come to your house and they burn it down, which books do you salvage and run out? And then the, the, the answers were, oh, Book of Romans. Oh, the Book of Romans. You grab that and you run, right? You know, you can burn numbers or you can burn all these other books, right? And, 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 and so there was significance. There was weight to the books. That's the canonization process. Briefly. But what's Paul say to Timothy here? When your mother and father raised you, Timothy, how did they do this? With holy writings. Yeah? The Bible's inspired, so it's different from Harry Potter. I actually believe God, God can speak to you through Harry Potter. Um, but it's not inspired by God. Shakespeare, right? God can speak to you through Shakespeare. But it's not inspired by God. Hunger Games, God can speak to you through that, but it's not inspired by God. Timothy, he grew up with loads of ancient philosophers, um, epic writers, but they're not inspired by God. They're not God-breathed. You know, sometimes I'm actually giving up social media for um, Lent. Didn't want to, but Tony texted me and asked me if I could do it with him. And as his friend, I wanted to uh, help him and um, help me as well in that. It's all right. It's doing me good. I, get, I still get the weird cravings. Grab my phone and look at it. What's, it's just useless now. I don't need my phone. Um, and I just think, you know, my news feed, I'm scrolling and scrolling. It's just, it's not inspired. I don't encounter God. It's just text. It's just regular text. It's just, but then I read the scriptures and I'm like, Jesus, something about them, something different. And so the Bible is God's breath. It's inspired. So if it's inspired, when you read it, you will encounter God. And so the prime reason we read the Bible is not to acquire information or to gather data about a abstract being the reason we read the Bible is so that we might encounter the God that the Bible talks about. Yeah? We read it so we might encounter the God the Bible talks about. Bible reading, I love what Lucundo said last week. It's not sure. When you realize that you're having a conversation with your loving creator, it will change you if you read it. Um, but how do we read it? Again, I'm sorry for the brevity of this next section but I think it might be helpful. The Bible's inspired, helps us to be wise for salvation. Some of you might be thinking, okay, Josh, great, fantastic, but sometimes when I read the Bible, I get to some passages and I'm just like, oh, I don't understand. Or, or maybe like, I don't, you know, it doesn't seem to be in line with the God who's revealed in Jesus Christ and who's revealed himself to me. Maybe you don't word it like that, but you know what I mean? And we don't have time to look at all the difficult texts in the Bible. One day I will write a book and you will come to my book. Um, selling thing and buy it and, and we'll have a great time. In my experience, Christians either care or they don't. What I mean by that is, you might fall in this category, you read in the Bible and you come across a difficult verse and you're like, um, that's a bit, jolts me a little bit. But, you know, my relationship with Jesus is so deep, I'm not really bothered, I'm going to get over it, okay? And it doesn't affect you. Now, that's fine. Some other Christians, are, you know, they get to a verse and it's like, ugh, and it kind of just, they can't get past it and they need to Google and research and just go really deep and try and figure out what on earth does this verse mean? How do I understand this verse? 
Ivor is a bit of good in Ivor, actually. Um, Ivor approaches are, are, are okay. Um, I will say, number one, it's, it's okay to wrestle with the scriptures. Absolutely okay. Um, after all, when God decided to name his people, he called them wrestlers. Um, it's because um, God wants us to wrestle with the word. And actually, sometimes, I don't know about you, but the Bible's hard to understand sometimes. Um, in fact, Peter, when he describes Paul's letters, he says, they're difficult to understand. So if, you know, this, the rock of the church, Peter, first century Jew, in the culture, find him difficult to understand, we need a lot of help, right? But as you wrestle with the scriptures, I want to encourage you to pray and wrestle. In Ephesians, Paul prays that believers might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation as they read his letter. So Paul's saying, hey, um, I'm going to write a letter to you. You won't be able to understand it. You might need a spirit of wisdom and revelation when you read the letter. Okay? Why is that? Well, Paul tells us in Corinthians that the Holy Spirit interprets spiritual truths to those who have the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? In other words, you can't understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit of God inside of you as you read it and spiritual truths will be revealed to you. If you don't have the Spirit, the Bible will look a bit weird. So wrestle and pray with the Scriptures. Um, but don't make the Bible do what it was never intended to do. Again, I can talk about this, but what I just want to say quickly is don't throw obscure questions at the Bible. Should I shop at Tesco or Asda? Oh, let me just open my Bible. Like you, you won't find the answer in there. I'm sorry, but you won't. Which dentist do I go to? Oh, I'll just open the Bible and, uh, and find out. No, the Bible is not a yes or no book. It was never meant to be a yes or no book. However, the last 250 years, post-enlightenment, that's the world we live in. You go on social media now... Yes or no? Is this right? Yes or no? That's the answer to everything. Yes or no? Yes or no? But we've got to be more wise than that, okay? When we read the Bible, we need to read it. And the second point is this. Read the Bible in light of the whole Bible. What do I mean? Read passages and verses in the light of Jesus and the whole biblical story. Okay, don't just interpret a verse in the verse. It won't get you very far. Interpret each verse in the light of the whole biblical story. That will help so much. And that means that sometimes we don't read the Bible literally. <gasps> that can be really dangerous. Actually, if you, if you go around reading the Bible literally, you're going to do some really dangerous things. And dangerous things have been done in the name of the Bible because people have wrongly interpreted it. So David says in Psalm 137 verse 9, People are blessed if they throw other people's babies against rocks. Hey, it's in the Bible. You want to be obedient to God? I think you better do that. You know what? What do we do here? We, clearly, there's something in us that says, don't do that, <laughs> right? We, God's given us reason. We need to take all of this when we, when we read scripture. But what I would say is a lot of times we just need to apply the principle. Don't bin it, don't bin the verse, just apply the principle. And what's the principle here? God loves people who are passionate for his name. And whatever that looks like, do it, right? Maybe don't do the baby throwing thing. 
Um, if you, again, if you came to my workshop at the Young Adults, we looked at Deuteronomy 22, verse 8, which says that you must, if you live in a house, you must build a parapet around the roof of your house. You must do that or you're disobeying God. Why does it say that? Because you want to protect people from bloodshed. Now, who lives in a house? Have you built a wall around your house? Mmm, bad Christians. Right, why don't we do that? It's in the Bible, we need to do it, right? No, because we need to be wise when we read the scriptures. In the Old Testament, when anyone wanted to throw a party, they would do it on a roof. People partied on roofs. That's where they partied. We don't do it anymore. Sad, isn't it? I mean, it's quite, the houses are shaped like this. Don't know how that would go. But in the Old Testament, people partied on roofs. And so God's saying, hey, um, a lot of people have been falling off the roofs and dying. So instead of having bloodshed on you, why don't you build a parapet around, you know, wall around your, your roof, and, and then people won't die. Now, we don't go home, do we, and build a wall around our house. Um, the reason we don't is because that's silly. What do we do? We apply the principle. What's the principle in that verse? Safety for our neighbor. If someone comes into your house and has a party, um, make sure that they don't die. Yeah? Health and safety is biblical, right? We want to be looking after people, okay? So when you're at work and you have to do those four-hour health and safety training videos, think this is biblical, right? Oh, there's loads. We could, there's loads. Right, holy kisses. We don't have time. Five times in the New Testament. Explanation mark. Greet one another with a holy kiss. No one's greeted me yet with a holy kiss. Right? Yeah, so what do we do? Do we go around giving sloppy kisses? Or do we apply the principle of greeting one another with love and affection and how it's culturally acceptable? I think we better do that. I'll be watching you at tea and coffee. We don't, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, make sure you set aside money every Sunday to send to the church in Jerusalem. We don't do that, by the way, as King's Church. Um, However, we do apply the principle, you know, we support local churches financially and ministries financially. Um, We don't pluck our eyes out if we lust. Okay, we can go on and on and on. We'd all be blind, wouldn't we? Now, um, what do we do? We don't do away with the verses, we apply the principle. And we embrace all of scripture as God's word, but we need to realize that parts of scripture apply only in specific places at specific times in specific cultures. However, we can't neglect the surrounding context and try and squeeze it into our culture. It won't work. We need to honor the original audience. And this is the culture that God chose to, spoke, to speak to originally. Um, so sometimes it means we've got to do a little bit of work. I want to say as well, read it together. Don't read the Bible alone. I was in Connect on Wednesday. Awesome time. Just reading Romans 12. Fantastic. And hearing what other people had to say, other than me, you know, it was, I learned so much. I love reading the Bible with other Christians. And in fact, you know, I, I, one of the things I love about King's Church is that w- when I came here, I noticed straight away, we love the Bible here. And we don't just love it, but we actually dedicate time to running Bible schools. School of the Word, USMM, Ignite, all of the Bible series programs. We, we love the Spirit, but we want to be a people of the Word. We want to be a biblically robust theological people, which isn't just for the people who stand at the front, but it's for everyone. After all, Ephesians 4 says, you're, you know, we are all ministers. 
God gave gifts to the church, teachers, apostles, teachers, all of that. Why? To equip God's people to what? Minister. Um, if anyone asks you what you do, just say, I'm a minister. Obviously, use wisdom. Uh, finally, before we have our awesome free people come and share with us a little bit, I just want to um, set them up a little bit. So what's it say in verse 16? All scripture is God-breathed, and because all scripture is God-breathed, it is what? Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need the Bible. The Bible really helps us to stay um, biblically robust and have sound doctrine and not sway that's why we decided to put a canon together in the first place. Some people are like, do we really need a book to limit us? Christianity is true anyway. Do we really need a book? Obviously, they argued in favor, yes, we do. It, it helps us. It, it, it guides us. Scripture guides us. keeps us on course. It profits us. It's useful. It benefits us. Because sometimes we need a reminding, don't we? Some of the basic things we forget. Peter, I love Peter. I keep mentioning him. Um, I was with Swinton today. I was just going on about how much I love Peter. But um, Peter begins his letter and he says, I remind you of these things so that you, you already know him, but I'm just writing them again. We need written things down. We need reminding. Great verse in Job, if you underline it. Chapter 19, verse 23. It's kind of ironic, but Job says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Well, Job, they are. Psalm 102, verse 18. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet unborn may praise the Lord. Write it down. Pass the Bible on so that this generation ahead of us will praise the Lord. The Bible reminds us, it guides us, it teaches us. And now we're going to hear from a few people in just how it has helped them personally. So we're going to start with um, Leah and then we're going to hear from Mike, and then we're going to finish with Hal. Okay. So I'm going to start by asking, what can separate us from God's love? Nothing. That's right. <laughs> And growing up in a, a religious background, I, I went to a very religious type of Christian school as a young child um, where we got graded on things like learning memory verses. And while that, while that was good, they had good intentions, it, it made us feel like we were being judged and um, God only loved us if we got things right, if we, if we remembered the scripture word for word, if we wore the right clothes for mass, um, and having that depiction of God is, is not right. And looking at the Bible, we can see that God loves us no matter what. Uh, if we sin, um, even if you're living in sin, God still loves you. Um, even when things are falling apart and you think, you know, people who are struggling and think, oh, I might not believe in God anymore God still loves you no matter the no matter what your circumstance God loves you so I'm going to look at that passage in Romans 8 uh, feel free to follow along I'm going to start with verse 31 
it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then if you go down to verse 37, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, to come <clears throat> sorry, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any else, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, so yeah, uh, no matter what the situation is um, through life, if things are looking ugly, if you're stuck in sin, uh, God still loves you and um, I think that that scripture is a good reminder that even when it looks like we're being rejected by everyone else in the world, God is still for us. And um, it doesn't matter if the whole world is against us, God is on our side and he's fighting for us every single day. Good evening, church. Good evening. God is good? Amen. All the time, God is good, yes? Good. Are we any students in the house? Any students in the house? The reason why I said that, because are we all students? All right, you got me. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I mean, Josh called me and says, I just wanted me to do a little bit about the Bible, what the Bible means to me, and how it's guided me in my life. So, just put down a few notes to share with everybody, because as a Christian, I think that it's more important, not for me, but for God, to know that I'm sharing his testimony. Because I'm not here to preach, I'm just here to bring a word to kind of enlighten everybody that's here. So, I hope that goes down well. So... As growing up as a young boy, as Leah just says, we were taught to recite verses, etc. blah, blah, blah. You know, that's what our parents wanted us to do. Be a good boy. What's this? What's that? Just how you had to know your times table and all that type of stuff. So ours was, yeah, one of those. So we went to church, come out of church. We've seen things in church that we didn't understand in church as a child. You're young, you're growing up, you don't know God yet, but you're kind of trying to pick it out. So I was at that stage where I went to church, saw a lot of things, and then grew up, left the church, went about my business, went into the world. Well, live my own life. Yeah, God give me a life, let me go out and live it. But as I got older, things got harder, got tougher, started doing things I shouldn't have been doing. And then um, I remember one day I had um, a bit of a second-hand car, a bit of a rickety car. wasn't that good, but I went to the garage to get it done. And the mechanic looked at me and he says, oh, gosh, you must have an angel on your shoulder. I thought, what did he mean by that? But then I kind of, the penny dropped that God was walking with me. I wasn't walking with God, but God was walking with me. That makes sense. Anyway, about 25 years ago, my sister bought me a Bible. 
because I was going through a lot of stresses in life, etc., and stuff like that. So, and it was a big challenge for me, Bible, knowing God, blah, blah, blah. And as Joshua already says, reading the Bible, it's challenging. You can go and read it literally and think loads of mad, crazy things because there's loads of war, talks about wars, everything. You know, it's all in there, isn't it? So I read the Bible three times and I'm still reading it. But it didn't really make sense of it, if that makes sense. But as I got older, reading it and learning through fellowship with my fellow Christians, which we do now quite a lot. Now that gives me a lot more understanding that we all come to an understanding, not just me. That makes sense. Anyway, because I went out into the world, lived my life, I thought, kind of depicted the prodigal son, which is in Luke, you can find that in Luke 15, 11 to 32 where one of the two, father has two sons, one goes into the world, one stays with his father, and the other one squanders the father's inheritance. And his, the father sees the son coming back from afar. He says, oh, go and get him, bring him in. Throws a big party, gives him, lavishes everything on him, but the other son doesn't understand it. But he doesn't really recognize that he was lost, but now he's come back. So that's how I felt. So, what I know, now know in life is that I, walk, I left, walked my own life, Christ walked with me. But as a Christian now, turned my life around, I now live my life with Christ, and I walk with Christ. Does that make sense? So, that's my story. But I'm going to ask one thing before I finish. Alistair, please, can we all stand, please? This is the passage that we grew up with, I grew up with, having to recite, having to read, and it guides me, so I thought we could share it. Psalm 23. Can we all say it together? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff may comfort me. You will prayer a table in front of me, of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in you house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, however, um, I'm going to do this micless. Yeah. <laughs> because um, the 
Psalm 23 in Mike's face at the end. Um, because this is not um, a passage that I think can live. I can't bring out of this passage what I'd like to bring out of this passage speaking normally. So I'm going to have to raise my voice. Behold, Isaiah 53, by the way, if you want to follow. <laughs> Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall utter their mouths because of him. That which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. This is 53 now. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as his generation he considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The email that I got on Friday from Josh um, to explain what I should be doing tonight said, I will invite you up one by one, and come 
will come and show how the Bible, or a particular passage, has helped to guide you in an area of your life. The Bible reveals Jesus. It revealed Jesus several hundred years before Jesus walked on the earth. It reveals Jesus several thousand years after he ascended from it. that saved me who was smitten and crushed and pierced by the will of God. Yeah, I, I really do wrestle sometimes with this book. that the iniquity that should be laid upon us all would instead be laid on him. As I think he ends with, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressions. Yet he, Jesus, bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. How has a particular passage helped guide you in an area of my life? And if the Bible hadn't told me Christ intercedes for me on my behalf in the heavenly places as a transgressor. I would have no hope. And that's just one of just under 1,100 verses. us in an area 